Minister uh, with RVF here at Wake. Um, and just uh, as a disclaimer tonight, uh, my back's really hurting. I, on Saturday, we were at dinner at a friend's house, and they have a trampoline. And, um, and my son, Leo, who's four, was scared to jump on the trampoline. And so I thought I'd show him how it's done. And I'm 31. And so I'm jumping on the trampoline, and I did a flip because that's what I remember loving to do. And I landed on my, on my tailbone. And my whole back seized up. It was a trampoline. Like, it should be fine. But when you're in your 30s, guys, look forward to your 30s. Uh, your back starts hurting. So I didn't take any muscle relaxants tonight, which is a good thing for y'all's sake that I'm not on muscle relaxants. Because then who knows where we'd end up um, with me talking. Just painkillers. So um, that's what we got tonight. Um, we are working through the book of Colossians together on Tuesday nights. And the, the passage we're going to be going through tonight is in your bulletin, or if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, this past week, I was watching uh, one of ESPN's 30 for 30. Have you all seen these documentaries that they did? In their 30th year, ESPN has commissioned 30 documentaries about sports. Um, and we watched one this past weekend called Soul Man. And uh, Soul Man tells the story of Sonny Vaccaro, um, who is kind of this, like, godfather figure for college basketball. Um, If you're unfamiliar with Sonny Vaccaro, um, people call him a kingmaker. Um, He's this fast-talking, American-born Italian man. Um, Yeah, he's kind of like a character from The Godfather. Uh, Someone was writing about him and said that he's like the Forrest Gump of basketball. I mean, he's done everything you could possibly imagine with basketball. And what he's famous for was he was in Pittsburgh, and he created the first... Uh, tournament for high school players to show off their abilities for college recruiting. So he basically created the college recruiting machine that we know today. Um, And then he had the great idea of including the, uh, the, the shoe companies. And so he got Nike to sponsor and got these shoe companies to sponsor these teams in New England, which then kept good coaches at small schools in the 70s. And what you probably know him for is that in 1985, he signed Michael Jordan to Nike to create Air Jordan, right? The the Michael Jordan, Air Jordan legacy was his idea. And then in the 90s, he signed Kobe Bryant to Adidas. Um, And so he he created this system where he connected the the corporations, the the shoe companies, with these individual athletes and made them kings. He was a kingmaker. And in this system, I was just amazed by it because it goes all the way down to high school. Um, For those of you who didn't play basketball in high school like myself, um, you're unfamiliar with this, but they have AAU basketball teams which are actually sponsored by these these shoe companies. And so what will happen is someone will play for a Nike-sponsored high school team, and then they'll get recruited to a Nike-sponsored college team, and, and then they will sign with Nike when they graduate. So for the select few, it makes them a king. I mean, the the Choice example for us is LeBron James, right? He signed a $100 million deal with Nike. Um, and uh, so for the select few, it's, they make them kings, but for everyone else, um, they are just absolutely devastated. There's, a, there's a, uh, one little interview in this documentary with this guy who was promised so much. In high school, he was promised, hey, if you sign with a Nike team, we're going to make you a king. And he got left on the side. And so many people have been, have been put into this system um, and have been turned out and turned away because they weren't the, the Kobe Bryants, they weren't the LeBron James. So why do I tell you this? I tell you this because um, there's this deep connection that we see in the story between identity and hope. 
Um, identity shapes hope. Hope shapes identity. So if you're a poor kid um, and you play basketball and someone tells you, if you wear our logo, we'll make you rich, right? His hope is in this future promise of great wealth if he, if he dons the identity of the Nike swoosh, right? It's a monetized hope. If you play for us, we'll make you rich. Um, if you let us give you an identity, we'll provide you hope, right? And you don't need to grow up poor to need hope, do you? Um, I don't need to tell you about y'all's need for hope. You who have broken families, um, who have broken friendships, who have seen death, who have felt anxiety, depression, sadness, loneliness, and not just you, but all in the world who suffer deeply. And the message of the Christian Christian gospel is a message of hope. And tonight we're going to look at that hope as Paul gives it to us in Colossians 3. So I'm going to read from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. This is God's word for us tonight. He gives it to us because he loves us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Um, Father, we ask now that you would help us by your spirit uh, to make sense of your word and to see Jesus, um, the hope that you have held out for us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my talk tonight has two points. First, I want us to answer the question, what is the Christian hope? And second, how does this hope give shape to our identity? So what is the Christian hope? And the Christian hope is a story. It's a story that begins in the beginning of time, um, or before the beginning, when God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of his great love, um, created. Created this creation and created us humans as the pinnacle of his creation. And he created us as humans um, to be mirrors, to be mirrors of his glory uh, to our creation, mirrors back to him, mirrors to one another, and mirrors to ourselves. But uh, the Bible tells a story that... um, Adam and Eve, our first parents, were deceived in the garden, and they sinned. And um, it was akin to, t- to taking spray paint and a hammer to a mirror. If you, take, if you spray a mirror with spray paint, uh, then you can't see the image that it's reflecting. And if you hit a mirror with a hammer, then even if you could see the image it was reflecting, it would be distorted. And you wouldn't quite see exactly as you're supposed to. And this is what sin has done to us, that we, because of the fall, are distorted and broken mirrors. And then the Bible tells the story of God pursuing after his people with the great promise of doing something new. And the Old Testament tells this story, and it's the unfolding of God's promises for this newness, for this new creation. And in this new creation, um, God the Father sent Jesus Christ to earth to live and to die and to be raised from the dead, to ascend into heaven, and then to send his spirit to apply the work that Jesus did to his people. And in Christ, by the power of the spirit, God is making all things new through Jesus' resurrection. And so the Christian hope is this. If you have faith in Jesus, then you have been raised with Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That's what Paul says right here in Colossians 3. The Christian hope is the hope of heaven. 
the hope of resurrection and the hope of new creation. And this is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 1, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. And what he's saying is that Jesus' resurrection is yours by faith. Everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the claim that you must wrestle with. Was Jesus truly resurrected from the dead? Because if he wasn't, then our religion is a sham. And the Bible, in fact, says that. That if Christ was not raised, then we are to be considered fools among all people. But if he was raised and he is who he says he is, then through faith you are raised with him. And if you have faith in Christ, you can be certain that you have been raised with him. What is faith? Simply put, faith is looking at Jesus' death and saying, I want that, I need that to be true for me. Jesus' resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. He's been raised from the dead, body and soul, and as Christians, by faith, our resurrection has begun. What happened to Jesus will happen to us. This is what Paul is saying here. Since you have been raised with Christ, you are united to Christ through faith so that you will join him in the fullness of his resurrection. But while we're still in our earthly bodies, these bodies that we're in right now, um, we groan. We, we burden because we long for this resurrection. This is how the New Testament puts it, that we're burdened we long. Our bodies actually are groaning for this resurrection. Now, have you ever felt this groaning? It's that dull pain of desire where every fiber of your being cries, is this really all there is? The resurrection of Christ proclaims to the world and to our hearts that no, you were made for something far greater than this life. Jesus' resurrection is proof that he defeated death, not just for him, but death has been defeated for you as well. Athanasius, who is the 4th century bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, explained it this way. Um, This is a quote that's on your bulletin. Um, I love this. He says, Before the divine visit of the Savior, even the holiest of men were afraid of death and mourned the dead as those who perish. But now that the Savior has raised his body, death is no longer terrible. But all those who believe in Christ rend it underfoot as nothing and prefer to die rather than to deny their faith in Christ, knowing full well that when they die, they do not perish, but live indeed and become incorruptible through the resurrection. No one in his senses doubts that a snake is dead when he sees it trampled underfoot, especially when he knows how savage it used to be. Nor, if he sees boys making fun of a lion, does he doubt that the brute is either dead or completely bereft of strength. These things can be seen with our own eyes, and it is the same with the conquest of death. Doubt no longer than when you see death mocked and scorned by those who believe in Christ, that by Christ death was destroyed and the corruption that goes with it resolved and brought to an end. What Athanasius is saying and what Paul is saying here is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, death is no longer the end. But through faith in Jesus, those who die participate in his resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of heaven. Paul says, for us to set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And Paul's giving us an image here. Uh, to convey to us that Jesus is occupying the highest place, that he has all authority in heaven and earth, and that there is none higher than him. 
And if you have faith in Jesus, when you die, you join Jesus in heaven. And the Bible calls this place heaven. It calls it rest. It calls it paradise. In heaven, there's no hunger nor thirst. There's no sunburn or drought. In heaven, the light of the Son of God will burn away all pain and sadness. And God himself will hold you and wipe your eyes. Do you thirst? He will lead you to a spring that refreshes and cools your soul and gives you life. Are you tired or anxious? He will give you rest. Are you sad? He will give you joy. Heaven is full of hope because it is rest. Heaven is full of hope because God promises that there is no point in time when we will be apart from him. If you die before Jesus returns to this earth, you will instantaneously be with Jesus. There's no purgatory. There's no waiting room, no tunnel of white light. At death, you are with God immediately. Heaven is full of hope because it is where souls are refreshed and we wait for God to restore the entire cosmos. And heaven is full of hope ultimately because it's where Jesus is. And this is still not the fullness of the Christian hope. The resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of heaven, and the resurrection of Jesus gives the hope of our resurrection. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. What Paul's saying is that Christ will return. Um, He will come back to earth, and when he returns, there will be a resurrection. The Bible teaches that when Christ returns, the dead will rise. And when I think about resurrection, especially at this time of year... Um, I think about well-choreographed dancing zombies led by Michael Jackson. Um, And that's not what the biblical picture of resurrection is, believe it or not. Um, Resurrected people will not scare us, but Christ will return in all his glory. And the Bible says that this event will be terrifying. For those of us who know Jesus, we will rejoice in his return and long to see him. But for those of us who do not belong to Jesus, the Bible says that those will cry out for the mountains to fall on them. And there will be a judgment. And at this judgment, we will receive what's due to us. Our hearts will be exposed, our deeds will be weighed, and we will be rewarded or punished for eternity based on our goodness before God. But that's not the fullness of it. Paul writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And this means that when Christ appears to judge the living and the dead, when we are face to face with the Son of God, the one by whom God flung the stars into space, the one who has commanded the morning since the beginning of time and caused the dawn to know its place, the one who binds the chains of the Pleiades and loosens the cords of Orion, this God who sends forth lightnings and puts wisdom into the hearts of men, this is the the Lord who will judge the living and the dead. When Jesus Christ, who is this God, the God of the universe, appears, Paul says, we will be made like him. We will experience our full resurrection, and our sin will burn off in the radiance of the Son of God, and we will stand before him complete, perfect, and glorious. And at this moment, the fullness of our salvation will be known. We will be transformed, and our resurrection will be complete. We will no longer groan. For we will be clothed in eternal bodies, and we will not die. When he appears, you will appear with him in glory. And when Christ appears, we will feel complete because we will be complete. And it's not just you alone, but all who have trusted Christ from all time over all the earth. There will be no more sadness. Tears will lose their bitterness. 
and we will be overwhelmed with joy and love. Y'all, this is so good, and this is not the full story. The resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of heaven. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope of our own resurrection. And finally, the resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of a new creation. In the last two chapters of the Bible, God gives the Apostle John this vision of what he will do when he brings the new creation. He says, There will be a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And all that causes fear and terror and sadness and death will disappear with them. And then we will see the marriage of heaven and earth. And a loud voice will come from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And the one who seated on the throne said, I'm behold, behold. I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, because this is true. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the Christian hope. That the resurrection of Jesus gives gives us a hope of heaven. That his resurrection gives us a hope of our own resurrection. And that the resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of the new creation. So how does this story of hope give shape to our identity? How does this story of hope give shape to our identity? Well, in the West, we are used to hearing stories going beginning, middle, end. But storytelling in the East, stories go beginning, middle, beginning. Storytelling in the West is beginning, middle, end. Storytelling in the East is beginning, middle, beginning. And the story of the Bible follows this pattern of the stories in the East. It goes beginning, middle, beginning. And the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of of the second beginning. And this story, being the true story of the world, offers a true identity to us. We live in a world of many different competing stories, stories that offer their own version of hope, and stories that offer you an identity that is connected to hope. So what is the Christian identity that's connected to the Christian hope? Look at verse 3 and 4 again. Paul says that if you have faith in Jesus, your life is hidden with him in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now think of all the stories that we let shape our identity. The stories that offer us a place to hide ourselves with the promise of some sort of, some sort of hope. What are the false stories of hope that shape people's identities here at Wake? Well, they're not hard to see. Um, in many cultures, um, they have a thing called a life token. I read about this this week. Um, a life token is that someone's life is bound up with some external object. And then that token is referred to as that person's life. And as long as that life token is intact, nothing can hurt that person. Y'all, our life tokens are so obvious. Just think of the story I told at the beginning of this talk. Um, It's obvious what LeBron James' life token is, right? It's Nike. As long as his Nike deal is intact, nothing can hurt him. So he has a swoosh on everything he owns. I asked Leo if I could tell this story, and he said yes. Leo, my four-year-old son. Um, Right now, he's introducing himself as anything but Leo. So if you've met him recently, he's either introduced himself to you as Uncle John 
which is what my nieces and nephew call me um, because he wants that to be his identity. Or, more recently, he's been introducing himself as Wake Forest. Um, so I think it's because everyone's cheering for Wake Forest and he just wants to be Wake Forest, right? But this, this identity construction he's doing is so obvious that he's trying to construct an identity outside of himself. And ours are just as obvious. I mean, think about the clothing that everyone wears. What identity does it promise? What is the hope connected with that particular article of clothing? Or what are the organizations that you belong to or want to belong to? What identity do they promise you? What hope is connected to that identity? When I was in college, I had this powerful pull on me. Um, This stuff had a powerful pull on me. This is embarrassing, um, but I remember shopping uh, with shopping for clothing, looking for the perfect logo. I just had it in my mind that if I could wear the right logo that that conveyed the right identity, then somehow I could be hidden in that and I would feel secure. Um, I never found it. I was always searching for that thing to give me that identity, something that I could put my hope in that would make me feel secure. And the things I tried never actually delivered on what I hoped they would. Um, And second, perhaps more embarrassing, um, I remember daydreaming about what it would be like to be in a fraternity in a different school. Um, I remember as a sophomore at Tulane, the hope and identity that my fraternity had promised me. And right, y'all, they don't go around promising these things, but these are the implicit things that we, we attach to these things, right? It's all implicit. Very rarely is there this explicit call um, saying, be like this, and, it, and we will have hope. Um, but I remember this, this hope and identity that my fraternity had promised me was, was feeling insufficient and inadequate. So I remember daydreaming, daydreaming about um, what if I'd gone to Ole Miss or UVA or Washington and Lee, and what if I joined X or Y fraternity there? Then, then my identity question would be, answered and my hope would be secure. And a funny thing happened. The fall of my senior year, Hurricane Katrina hit, um, and I ended up at UVA. Um, I was at UVA for the semester, and I had the opportunity to try out this daydream. And so on that first weekend in Charlottesville, we were waking up on a Sunday morning on a pleather couch that stunk of cheap beer, and it was just as empty. Y'all, we let these things shape our identities. We try to hide inside them, hoping that they're going to give us some sort of glory. We're constructing these identities through our apparel and our affiliations, through our achievement and our academics, with the hope that they will offer some real hope in a safe place for us to hide ourselves. But the identities that we construct, that we self-construct, ultimately fail us because they're ultimately nothing. They're ultimately nothing. Because if everything from this earth is made from dust, to dust it shall return, then the identities that we construct are dust too. They're nothing. That's why they don't have any real power to give us the security of hope. That's why when you keep trying to find that perfect image or join that perfect group, it can't actually give you the identity you crave. It's because it's actually nothing. But look at the identity that God offers you in Christ. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. What would it look like 
for us to be people whose identity is received from the one who gives us hope? What will it look like for you to live like your life is hidden with Christ and God? And what would it look like for you to live like your hope is that you will appear with him in glory? So back to Sonny Vaccaro, um, this man uh, created an empire by conceptualizing and implementing the idea of giving basketball players shoe deals. He has made Nike and Adidas billions of dollars. And the system that he created, that he helped create, has put thousands of youth into programs that, teach, that treat them like commodities, monetized pawns in the commercialized world of basketball. A system that makes kings out of a few and strips many of their dignity by reducing their value to whether or not they can sell shoes and then discards those who are deemed economically worthless. And today, sickened by what he helped create, Sonny Vaccaro has cut ties with the shoe companies and is working hard to care for and serve those players who are being used and abused by the system. And like Sonny, God is calling you to throw off those other identities with that false hope. And he's, God is calling you to find yourself hidden with Christ and God. To throw off those other identities, identities because you are confident of the identity that Jesus has purchased for you in his death on the cross. The identity that is secure for you in his resurrection. And therefore bound to your resurrection as well. What is that identity? It is what God has given you in Christ. That you are loved. That you are forgiven. That you are redeemed. That you are his. For you have died with Christ. And with Christ your life is hidden in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great hope that you give us in Christ This hope that hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that the tomb is empty and that he is risen. We pray that you'd help us, we who have feeble and faltering faith. Would you help us um, to find ourselves hidden in Christ, to let him be the one who shapes who we are, knowing that you have given us all things in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.